If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Sephora, and Nike. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Breaking news tonight, stunning increase. More than 25,000 now dead nationwide. New York City says 3,700 people who weren't tested likely were killed by the virus, just as the curve is flattening there. It's basically uh, flat at a devastating level of pain and grief. Plus some much needed help as the first ventilators made by GM roll off the assembly line. The new normal, the nation's governors laying out plans for restarting the economy. Fewer workers and more masks. You may be having dinner uh, with a waiter wearing gloves, maybe a face mask. Tonight, our interview with the former head of the FDA. What he says needs to happen to get America back to work. Threatening the food supply, major plants forced to close as hundreds of workers there are infected. What does it mean for your kitchen table? Racing to a Cure, our new series looking at innovative treatments for coronavirus. Tonight, could a centuries-old practice using survivor's blood help save lives? Obama weighs in. The former president gets involved in the 2020 campaign, endorsing Joe Biden. Why he says his vice president is the man to lead the country through a crisis. And tonight, we end with a story about an extraordinary act of goodwill that helped one small business CEO pay his employees even though his doors were closed. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us. The death toll from coronavirus has jumped dramatically tonight after New York City said it has been undercounting those killed by the disease. The city now says an additional 3,700 people who died without being tested are presumed to be victims of the pandemic. Tonight, the death toll nationwide now tops 25,000 without including those new deaths. And confirmed cases are nearing 600,000. Even with those increases, today the nation's governors began laying out their plans for slowly getting people back to work, including rearranging schools and restaurants with fewer desks and tables to allow for social distancing. But President Trump is calling those plans a mutiny, saying he is in charge of lifting the restrictions nationwide. And as we come on the air tonight, the White House says it has reached an agreement to bail out America's airlines at a cost of $25 billion. There's a lot of news to get to, and our correspondents are standing by. Mola Lenghi leads off our coverage in New York City tonight. Mola. Well, Nora, for weeks now, we've heard that New York City's death toll is actually higher than what was being reported. Uh, and late this afternoon, just that was confirmed. The health department is now counting probable COVID-19 cases. More than 3,700 people who died uh, mostly in their homes as well as in hospitals before a confirmed test. 
There's been a long, long journey. 33-year-old Janet Mendez beat COVID-19 after spending two weeks in the ICU. Across the country, more than 44,000 have battled back. Almost everybody is on oxygen, and uh, almost everybody is a COVID patient. But for others, the fight continues. New York State saw 1,600 new coronavirus patients in the last 24 hours. After including presumed COVID-19 victims who died before being tested, today, more than 3,700 were added to New York City's death toll. You look at the past few days and the number of lives lost, it's basically uh, flat at a devastating level of pain and grief. At the same time, testing is ramping up. This Brooklyn site was set up to target hard-hit minority communities. But today, Coronavirus Task Force member Dr. Anthony Fauci said America still does not have critical testing infrastructure. We have to have something in place that is efficient and that we can rely on, and we're not there yet. General Motors today announced it's meeting its pledge to produce 6,000 ventilators. CEO Mary Barra said the first batch just rolled off the automaker's Indiana plant assembly line. I have to think this is one for the record books, but it really is uh, the cooperation between the Ventec team and the GM team, the initial engineers, the manufacturing specialists. The virus toll is heavy for essential workers. In New York City, at least 59 transportation workers, 23 members of the NYPD and five members of the FDNY have succumbed to the virus, including EMT Gregory Hodge, a 24-year veteran of the department and 9-11 first responder. But 30-year-old Daniel Spano is evidence the virus does not discriminate. I thought I'd have my son forever. I, I, I'm just so devastated. Spano was a fitness trainer in perfect health when he got infected. He called my parents and uh, he was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And my mom was like, you can't what? And he was like, I, I can't breathe. So at that point, my dad, you know, went to go to his apartment and on the way called an ambulance for him. He died without any of his family by his side. We had to say goodbye to him through uh, an iPad. My brother, my baby brother is sitting in this hospital bed, you know, dying and we couldn't do anything for him. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't go and comfort him. Well, again, testing remains an issue. Mayor Bill de Blasio announced today that later this month, the city will purchase 50,000 tests per week from a company in Indiana, in addition to producing 50,000 tests per week on its own. Some, including Governor Cuomo, are skeptical of that, Nora. All right, Mola, thank you. And with governors beginning to propose plans to reopen their states, President Trump says he will be the one to decide when restrictions are lifted and compares governors who say otherwise to mutineers. Paula Reed is at the White House tonight with the very latest. Paula? Nora, up until now, the president has largely deferred to state governors to decide how their local economies will respond to this outbreak. But now he says it's up to him to decide how those local areas reopen, even though the Constitution clearly says otherwise. Agreement. President Trump is counting on members of a new task force to advise him on how and when to reopen the country, a decision many of the nation's governors say is for them to make, including Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York, who is warning of a constitutional crisis. The president's position is just uh, absurd. It's not the law. It's not the Constitution. We don't have a king. 
We have a president. Some governors are simply ignoring the president and coordinating with nearby states on how to gradually ease some restrictions. California Governor Gavin Newsom laid out a framework for eventually reopening his state, including reconfiguring classrooms and restaurants for fewer seats. You may be having dinner uh, with a waiter wearing gloves, maybe a face mask, a dinner where the menu is disposable, uh, where the tables, half of the tables in that restaurant uh, no longer appear. Everything we did was right. During an angry press conference Monday, the president showed a video timeline of the federal government's response. But Mr. Trump was unable to answer what his administration did to prepare for the virus in the entire month of February, after banning most travelers from China on January 31st. The argument is that you bought yourself some time, you didn't use it to prepare hospitals, you didn't use it to ramp up testing. Right you're so, now, you're so, you're so disgraceful. It's so disgraceful the way you say that. Let, let me just, listen, I just went over it. I just went over in it. An unprecedented crisis. Nobody thought we should do it. And when I did it. But what did you do with the time that you bought? You know what we month did? Of February. That, you know what we did? What do you do? What do you do when you have no case in the whole United States? You had cases when in you, you, excuse me, you reported it. Zero cases, zero deaths on January 17th. January. February. The entire January. I said in January. The video has a complete gap. The White House still has not provided an answer to that critical question. In tonight's briefing, though, the president announced that he is suspending hundreds of millions of dollars in funding to the World Health Organization, accusing it of mishandling the coronavirus outbreak and of favoring China. He also announced a $25 billion deal to bail out the airlines. Nora. Paula, thank you. With Dr. Fauci warning, we're not there yet on key steps to reopen the economy. We wanted to bring in Dr. Scott Gottlieb, the former commissioner of the FDA, because he's written a roadmap about what it would take to get America back to work. Doctor, thank you. Thanks. So is the nation ready yet? Well, I think we're, we're getting ready. You know, you, clear, you clearly see a decline in cases. I think that we're heading uh, towards a trajectory that we can start to contemplate potentially reopening aspects of the country in May and into June, but it's going to be a slow process. We want to do it gradually, and we want to evaluate along the way to make sure that as we go back to work, we're not triggering a spike in new cases. As part of your roadmap, you note that you need the decline in cases, but you also talk about the systems that need to be in place. What are those systems? Right. You want the ability to broadly test the populations. The other thing you want is you want reserve capacity in the healthcare system. So we need to make sure the healthcare system itself is no longer overwhelmed. And you also want the ability to do what we call contact tracing. Basically, when you identify a positive case, that's the bread and butter, if you will, of public health work in terms of controlling an epidemic. Then what is the acceptable level of risk that Americans should be able to take in order to return to work? Well, look, this is an infection that's going to be with us for a long time. We're going to have to learn to live with some element of risk here. And I think we're going to face a bigger risk heading into the fall uh, as we go back to school, as uh, college campuses go back into session. And the fact that this virus probably has a seasonal component to it, it's probably something that is going to have a seasonal aspect where it's going to want to come back. We started a series this week called Racing to a Cure. And given that a vaccine won't be available until a year to 18 months from now, what do you see as the most promising pre-vaccine treatments that are out there? 
Well, there's a number of antivirals that act directly uh, on the virus itself. Um, a handful in advanced development that could potentially be available within the next several months. And so I think if we have by the fall um, one or more of these antibody drugs available, combined with an antiviral drug that acts directly on the virus to inhibit its replication that can be used early in the course of the disease to prevent people from getting very sick, that kind of medicine cabinet, I think, to be very effective um, at helping to mitigate um, the significant risk from this virus. We don't need a magic cure here. We don't need a magic bullet. Um, we don't need something that cures the virus. If we can have a therapeutic toolbox um, that can mitigate the risk of the virus and help prevent spread in certain patients. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Today, Barack Obama formally endorsed Joe Biden for president in ending his public silence on the race. The former president has a clear goal heading into the fall, party unity among Democrats. Ed O'Keefe reports tonight. Hi, everybody. Former President Barack Obama rejoined the campaign fray today, virtually, from his Washington home. He cited Joe Biden's work on past global epidemics and the 2008 economic recovery as reasons why the former vice president is ready for the White House. I know he'll surround himself with good people experts, scientists, military officials who actually know how to run the government and care about doing a good job running the government. The 12-minute video included criticism of President Trump, without naming him, and congressional Republicans. Republicans occupying the White House and running the U.S. Senate are not interested in progress. They're interested in power. The endorsement comes one day after Senator Bernie Sanders also pledged his support to Biden. It's imperative that all of us work together. The former vice president has put his friendship with Mr. Obama at the center of his White House bid. Most successful president in any of our lifetimes, Barack Obama. It's led to disagreements with liberal Democrats over health care and immigration, but increasingly, all signs now point toward party unity. Barack Obama has mostly avoided speaking out publicly about the campaign until today, and otherwise he spent the last several months working the phones behind the scenes, hoping to unify his party ahead of November's election. Today he also sent fundraising emails and texts for Joe Biden and says he'll be back out on the campaign trail as soon as he can. Nora. All right, Ed, thank you. This news tonight, by tomorrow, about 80 million Americans will have received one of those $1,200 stimulus checks. One payment processor says much of the money that's already been collected is being used for food. But tonight there are concerns about the supply chain for feeding Americans. Hundreds of workers at food processing plants in five states have been infected, forcing several to shut down. As Dean Reynolds reports, the ripple effects are being felt from farms to supermarkets. At the JBS meatpacking plant in Greeley, Colorado, 78-year-old Saul Sanchez was feeling sick, but his daughter could not convince him to stay home. My dad was a, an amazing, humble, hardworking individual. He'd be like, they need me, they're short-staffed. Sanchez died a week ago from coronavirus. 30 others at the plant, now temporarily closed, have tested positive. A similar story is emerging at the indefinitely closed Smithfield plant in Sioux Falls, South Dakota which processes up to 5% of America's pork. More than 300 workers there have tested positive for COVID-19. All critical workers in a food chain that is now being stressed. Caitlin Wolak is an industry analyst at the University of Notre Dame. We're seeing so many disruptions across a number of different product categories, particularly meat and dairy products throughout the supply chain. Consumers are experiencing some shortages due to hoarding, but there is food. The main issue is distribution as more workers get sick. 
At the other end of the chain are the grocery workers. Dozens of them have died from the virus, and their union says 3,000 are out sick. The disruption adds up to more of an inconvenience for consumers right now, but it could get worse. It could mean more severe shortages. Julianne Potts of the North American Meat Institute. We've got to figure out a way to keep operating both for consumers and for producers and the animals that they're raising. But many crops are not here for another reason. Farmers are destroying them to avoid a surplus, which would drive down prices and create another problem along the food chain. Nora? All right, Dean Reynolds, thank you. Tonight, researchers are testing a blood therapy that's been used since the Spanish flu. It's being used to treat some of the most severe cases of COVID-19. In our new series, Racing to a Cure, Meg Oliver shows us how for some, this old treatment is providing new hope. Critically ill patients at LSU Health are receiving an infusion of plasma, which may be their last best hope of survival. We were the first to begin convalescent plasma therapy. Uh, and the patient has since uh, really stabilized and is actually progressing uh, toward uh, getting better. This century-old treatment relies on antibodies taken from patients who recovered from COVID-19. It gives a massive boost to the immune system of coronavirus patients to help them kill the virus. Recently, five patients from China with severe COVID-19 infections recovered after undergoing this treatment. Dr. Chris Kevill is leading the LSU trial. So this could be a viable option? This could definitely be a viable option. More than 800 acute care facilities across the country are participating in this trial approved by the FDA. But the number of COVID-19 patients who can join the study is limited because of the critical need for more plasma. It's very important uh, for people who have recovered to donate their plasma. And I said, where, when, and I'm there. When David Langston's doctor asked him to donate, he didn't hesitate. This is making me feel better about getting the coronavirus because I'm helping others that might have more difficulty getting over this. Others, like Dr. Bill White, who is the first COVID-19 patient to receive plasma donated by Langston. A blood donation, he says he can't wait to give again if it means saving a life. Meg Oliver, CBS News. We are all in this together, and there's a powerful example tonight of that in California. Jamie Ucas reports on how a CEO made a plan to keep all of his employees on the payroll. Thank you. I know that you are working extremely hard on all of our behalves. Every day, Claremont Club CEO Mike Elbert gets messages of gratitude. Thank you for everything. From his 260 employees. You know, you have our backs and you're fighting for us. His health and tennis club sits empty now, a victim of California's shelter-in-place rules. But Albert refuses to just walk away. I can tell you I'd rather be out of work and lose my job than put anybody on the unemployment line. The plan? Ask the club's 10,000 members to continue paying their dues through April and May. The promise? To pay them back once we opened up again. Combined with the help from the federal stimulus package, Albert believes he can provide his employees with a paycheck and health benefits through July. Dare Kelly is a Pilates instructor and single mom. I literally felt my knees. What does it mean to work for somebody like that? Okay, I'm about to cry. Okay. <laughs> Do you want me to cry? It's okay. So far, in an extraordinary act of goodwill, 
90% of the club's members are still paying their dues. We're willing to break even or even at a loss this year. This year is not about money. This year is about people. An investment that's uh, already paying off. Thank you for making my mom so happy. Jamie Ucas, CBS News, Claremont, California. It's got the right values. On tomorrow's CBS Evening News, the creative way some are staying in shape while staying at home. And if you can't watch us live, don't forget to set your DVR so you can watch us later. That is tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. Hope you have a good night and stay safe. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.